Okay, we're going to be in Luke chapter 10 today. And it's a joy to be back with you as we go ahead and venture through the Gospel of Luke. And as we're about halfway through now, it's been, again, such a joy to see the things that the Lord has said and done and, and the things that He is really waking us up to, things that we just tend to forget no matter how many times we read through the Gospels. It is good to recap everything that the Lord has been talking to us about. Because we, we tend to forget when something harsh comes into our lives, we, we forget the instructions that the Lord gave us. And these were things, again, that are just not just used for our temporary fixings, but our eternal life to come. It's a preparation for our time in heaven. It's a preparation for the best times we could have here on earth and, the, and a preparation for the, for the worst times that we might have here on earth and, and amongst many other things. Luke has been very diverse. The Gospel of Luke has covered much ground already in ten chapters. And, and we've scratched the surface. And, and so, as I like to recap on certain things, if you weren't with us in chapter nine, um, I mean, again, Luke... Really, as well written as it was, he really gave so much in each chapter. And so we looked at the uh, the transfiguration on the mount of Jesus and his transfiguration on his on what he's going to look like in heaven compared to where he was on earth that Peter and the other apostles got to witness. From there, we got to see a boy healed. And so we got to see Jesus once again predicting his death. And then we also saw him... Exalt, or not exalting, but exhorting his disciples on their argument of who was the greatest in the kingdom. And then we see so much again, the, the, the Samaritan village that rejected the Lord. And then we've seen the cost of discipleship that he spoke to in the very end of chapter 9. So much ground was covered. And the Lord again really just gave such rich teaching to us. And again, we must look at this with with intent and, and take it seriously. Because it wasn't just for a good read. This is for our, our lives and our eternities. And, and so I want to invite you to continue on because, again, we're just scratching the surface here. And Luke... I want to also mention, too, if there's one thing I could say about the writings of Luke and the Gospel of Luke, was that Luke covered other aspects as well that we didn't see in the other ones. So we, there's an appreciation there, because every Gospel had a specific thing in regards to it. The, the Gospel of John, representing his deity. The Gospel of Mark, representing the works of our Lord. The Gospel of, of Matthew, uh, representing his kingship, his messianic kingship. And then we have Luke, who was really um, making known his, his human side, his man side. As well as everything else that was involved in there. So we take those four Gospels and we see such a rich outlook of who our Lord really was. And so I want to invite you again to follow along here. And if you have your Bible with you, we're going to be in Luke chapter 10 once again. And the first thing we're going to be looking at is verses 1 through 8. And now in this case here, what we're going to be seeing here is we're going to be seeing something here again in chapter 10 that we didn't see in, in, in the other Gospels. And it was basically the, uh, the bringing of other disciples. We know of the twelve, but see, it didn't just, it just, it didn't end with twelve. 
it, it basically dominoed. <laughs> the Lord had a the Lord had a a universal plan of discipleship. And and two thousand years later that discipleship is still continuing in that universal plan. So as we as we look now, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter ten, and I'm going to start us off in verse one through eight. And it says, After these things the Lord appointed seventy others also, and sent them two by two before his face into every city, in place where he himself was about to go. And then he said to them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I send you out as lambs amongst wolves. Carry neither money bag, knapsack, or sandals. And greet no one along the road. But whatever house you enter, first say peace to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on it. If not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking such things as they give. For the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not go from the house to house. Whatever city you enter, and they receive you, eat such things that are set before you. So as as the ministry grew... The need for people were needed. Uh, now, names were never mentioned in the Bible in regards to the 70, but we, but they are in God's glory in heaven now. Now, in, in the time of Moses, there were 70 elders that were appointed. And it seemed to work in the amount of people that were being led during that time of Moses. Now, perhaps Jesus was making sure that things were in the same order of what God ordained then at that time. But Christ knows best, and by that we can see that through his instruction. You know, on the old ways in in these days of ministry, uh, missionary work uh, there was was basically hospitality at its best. You you didn't want to stay at an inn, uh, and that was due to some shady places. But when brought in by a fellow believer in the Lord, you have found the right place, is what the Lord was saying. You don't want to insult their hospitality by going house to house when taken in. Now, in, in the ancient Near East customs and culture, it was always very different from that in the West. And there was a command for believers to take care of one another. Ministers of the gospel were to care for the people and the people to care for them as well. Uh, there had to be a watchful demeanor on their works, okay? Not carrying money bags, uh, extra sandals. It was materialistic concerns. Extra baggage also was was to hold them down in their travels. So the Lord was giving them some good insight. But there is no unemployment in our service to the Lord, like in the form of corporations that are not hiring. Someone reminded me once that you know that I wasn't the only one out there on the internet with a Bible ministry. And my response was, as I said, yes, I'm very aware of that, and I am glad for the, for the others out there. But there's a lot more fish in the ocean than there are fishermen trolling the tops of the water. And see, the, the Lord knew that his time on earth was short, and the choosing of the right people was vital. It's both amazing and a blessing to see that as these events happened 2,000 years ago, the work continues. Many things have come and gone. Movements, uh, all these movements of sorts. Uh, but the Lord and His Word and His works are still living and active. Just like the Lord Jesus is still living and active. 
So I want to take another look here at what's going to be going on in verse 9 as we observe uh, from 9 to 16 in chapter 10. And it says, And heal the sick there, and say that the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whatever city you enter, and they do not receive you, go out into its streets and say, The very dust of your city which clings to us, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near you. But I say to you that it will be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades. And he who hears you hears me. Who rejects you rejects me, and he who rejects me, him who sent me. So we have a powerful message from the Lord on on the rejection of his love, his grace, and most of all, his salvation. You know, I've mentioned before the dusting off of the sandals. It was, it was a way of saying, I'm done here and I'm not going to track the vile dirt of this place back into the holy city. And the names of places that he gave here were the examples of some of the other places that were in danger of becoming the examples. We had the examples that were Sidon and Tyra, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, regions in, these were regions in Jordan, and, and Tyra was in the coast of Lebanon. All three places rebelled against God, and all three places were destroyed. And to this day, even to this day in 2017, are barren landfills. It's barren wasteland there to this day. We have Capernaum, we have Bethsaida and Chorazin. Uh, these were Galilean areas where Christ was ministering in. And that right there was where the bigger danger is. Because the Galilean areas witnessed the Messiah. And they also received the blessings of healing of sickness and disease. The forgiving of sins by the Messiah himself. And, and for these regions to reject him and his love puts them in danger by rejecting him. See, when the Lord presents himself, he never forces himself in, in people's lives. When he was rejected, he was grieved, but he departed. Grieved because he knew that when someone rejects God in any form, that the hand of God is no longer on that person. And when the hand of God is away from a person, or even on a place geographically, then basically things can happen. It's open season for disasters. It's an open door for Satan to have his way because the mighty hand of God is not over that place or that person. And people blame God all the time. You know, most are ones who are not followers or even believers, but yet he still gets the blame. That's what's amazing. They don't believe in God, they don't follow God, but they blame him. You know, young teens, when they don't like their house rules... You know, they have chosen to, to leave their house and, and the love and guidance of their parents. They face the darkness of the world outside. Now, some return home with a realization of their bad choice. And then there's some that get caught up in the trap. And then they get worse and they continue to blame the parents for their, for their choice of leaving. See, we don't want to be away from the presence of our Lord. 
If we were to take a very close look at some other nations that weren't in the Bible as of recently, we could take a look at nations around the world where catastrophes would happen. And we question why all the time. People would say, if God was such a loving God, then why would he allow that to happen? And I've always appreciated the answer that I, that I heard from a woman once who said that, you know, God is a perfect gentleman. And when people say, I want nothing to do with you, he gracefully backs away. But when that happens, I said it once before, open season has now come into play. When we reject God, he will not force himself upon us. But he's no longer in our presence. Our our source of light has gone when we do that. And that's not what the Lord wants. But he, again, gracefully, like a gentleman, will depart when, when said, we don't want anything to do with you. But I've also heard the term, too, that an atheist is no longer an atheist when they're in a foxhole. So, may we continue to remember that, yes, God is in control of all things. And and, and geographically, um, whatever the case may be, we need to recall we need to recall the things that we've seen happen and recognize the things that are going on right now. Catastrophes everywhere. May God help us, because we are in need of His grace and mercy. And time is running short. And so let's continue to see what happens here. In verse 17 to 24. Then the seventy returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and all over the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. And in that hour, Jesus rejoiced in the spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for it so it seemed good in your sight. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and the one to whom the Son reveals, wills to reveal him. Then he returned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes which see the things you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings have desired to see what you see and have not seen it, and to hear what you hear and have not heard it. You know, again, the Lord's name is where the power lies, within his people. He says, do not rejoice that evil spirits are subject to you, but that your name is written in heaven. See, the power was Christ in them, and also also through their eternal citizenship in heaven. Now, the warning of pride was given because it was the one thing that Satan had in which got him thrown out of heaven. They were given authority through Christ. Satan took it upon himself that he should be above God. You know, Satan had extreme beauty, and obviously um, he had extreme wit because he caused a third of heaven's angels to follow him as well as uh, many on earth who do his work. 
You know, Jesus, as we see, rejoiced in the Spirit, thanking the Father for those who were as like children, looking at the simple aspects of what Jesus taught in regards to him in the kingdom of God. And these that were with him were taught by him as a child learning everything they knew from a parent. They had the blessing to sit in front of Christ and spend time with him like a child being raised by their parent from birth on. Now granted, there was only three years together in the form of their ministry, but that three years was more rich than, than a lifetime that we could ever have with a mentor on earth. Because even the Gospel of John stated that there was so much done that we could not fit everything in writing on a book. And we know that whatever we're taught from childhood is what is embedded into our lives. Many who were taught to do wrong do not know better. You know, I heard the saying once that you can't ever know what a, a straight line is until you've really observed what a crooked one is. And that makes perfect sense. And Jesus spoke of the wise and how things were hidden from them. As the self-proclaimed wise and intellectuals of the world refute the teachings of Christ. You know, we even have Bible colleges and seminaries produce, uh, they produce certain beliefs, depending on what they teach. Because young believers go in and, and go with the teachings of a theologian with a personal agenda. And I've heard many debates that vary from scripture, and it's sad to see, which is why the Lord says so joyously in verse 21. You know, being a wise scholar doesn't make anyone right. Christ was always right and being followed, and that, and that was uh, the, the greatest thing that could be done in one's life. And by his grace, that can still be done today in our lives if we choose to follow him and be a part of him. So as we continue, we're going to observe the Lord in a very wise parable in verse 25. We're going to be looking at 25 to 31. I'm sorry, 37. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered rightly. Do this, and you will live. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, and, and Who is my neighbor? Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell amongst thieves, who ripped him, stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a certain priest came down the, that road, and when he saw him, he passed it by on the other side. Likewise a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan... As he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, He who showed mercy on him. And then Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. So the lawyer answered correctly by the scriptures, which was out of Deuteronomy chapter 6. Uh, but there was a need to elaborate the meaning. 
the good Samaritan was a Samaritan, a hated enemy of the Jews, and they, and they couldn't stand one another. Which actually makes this story even more touching in that of love, hope, and unity amongst enemy neighbors. You know, loving your neighbor as yourself would look like loving your house neighbor, which it is. But the Lord was referring to whoever is near you at that time as actually considered your neighbor. This Samaritan outdid the experts of the law by taking action over that of the law by showing love and mercy to not just an enemy by race, but simply by the care of another person. You know, Jesus entered in Samaria, and he talked to the people there. He did a mighty work as he asked a Samaritan woman for a drink from the well, which was basically against like their laws or their traditions, if you will. To, to even speak to that a woman uh, speak to a Jewish man, yet alone a Samaritan who hated one another, and the Samaritan went above and beyond without making known to others what he was doing. But you know, loving God with all heart and mind and soul must be done first, and then you can love your neighbor as yourself, which is what he said in order. Let's continue in thirty-eight to forty-two. It says, "Now it happened as they went." that he entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she said, she had a sister called Mary who also sat under uh, Jesus' feet and, and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. But one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. And that's the end of chapter 10. And I love the Lord's replies to people. You know, but the Lord, he just wanted to spend the quality time with these friends. Now, bless Martha and her, and her heart of service. But we tend to do, do, and do things, and during that, we lose focus on one simple aspect. And that is sitting at the feet of the Lord. All we want to do is do and do and do all the time. And, and we get wrapped up in that. And we don't really get to sit down with him and have that deep conversation that we've been longing for. Their biggest guest of honor was in their house. Martha was just a wonderful host, you see. But Christ is the Lord of hosts. <laughs> and the Lord of hosts just wants to be with his children. Now, being a servant or an ambassador of his is wonderful. And at times, I myself have been in the shoes of Martha. I want to do as much as possible. But I haven't just sat and worshipped the Lord. Spent that quality time with him as much. And I thank him for making that known. And that it is never too late to spend time with him if you're willing to do just that. Why? Because he's a father of invitation. And he wants you to be a part of him. But you have to invite him. You have to invite him into your heart and into your life, into your home. Because he's been waiting for you to be a part of him. And if you want to be with him in heaven, and to be one of his own, well, the opportunity is always given at the end of every message. A voice in the distance was the vision to teach the word of God from beginning to end. And to teach it for what it's saying. Simply in that, in that factor. 
But it's also it's also a ministry of prayer. And it's also a time that will allow you to spend time in worship with Him. And, and I'm glad for the sections of Luke that I've been able to observe because it's helped me to observe certain things too that I've lacked in. And if there's something that a lot of people do, a lot of people like to make known the things that maybe they themselves uh, are, are dealing with. And somebody else might be dealing with that same thing, but not everybody is. But there is one thing. There is one thing every single person can, that we can apply to together. And, and that is our time of worship to the Lord. Do we do that enough? Do we spend that time of worship with the Lord? And that is something that is, again, universal. Not just maybe a a few people that might be struggling with a certain situation. This is something that is vital to every one of us. Because we lose track. We lose focus on certain little things of importance. And when you are able to get into that place of worship... Trust me when I say that you have been able to step away from yourself and the things that are going on amongst you right then and there. So your time of of certain trials, your time of of tribulations, they are known by the Lord. And He will deal with those things. But are you still going to worship? Are you still going to meditate? Are you still going to spend that special time with Him? As, as Martha was being taught. I want to give this time right now to you to be able to do something very important. And it's the most important thing that you could probably ever do, which is the receiving of Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You are receiving Him into your heart by faith. And you were saying that I believe in you, Lord, that you died for me, and I am receiving you because I want to be with you in eternity. I want to be with you in heaven, and I want to thank you for what you've done in your in your works and through your salvation. And if you do that first, then everything else will start to come to you in life, whatever it might be. Tribulations and trials will always be there. But now you will have somebody... To walk you through the fire. He might even allow you to have a pretty smooth ride. But it's not for everyone. He, he gives us different gifts. He gives it according to us. Because he knows us better than we know ourselves. But I want to make it to where you get to know him more and more. And that is the goal of a voice in the distance. So I want to invite you. As he's been inviting you to receive him. As Lord and Savior. If you could say this prayer after me. Dear God, please forgive me. Please forgive me of all of my sins. I confess to you that I am a sinner. And Lord, I ask, Lord, that you would receive me into your kingdom, Lord. As I receive you into my heart as my Lord and my Savior and my Father. I thank you for dying for my sins, Lord. I thank you for giving me a place in eternity with you. May you be in me now, Lord, as I am with you. And Lord, I love you and I praise you and I receive you. In Jesus' name I pray. 
Amen. Well, again, the joy and the blessing is mine. And, and, and what a time it is to be able to come together just to, just to observe our Lord and, and some of the things that He's done. And, and I want to remind us it's what He's also continuing to do right now as we speak. So may you follow Him closely and may you seek Him daily because I guarantee you there's more to come when we seek Him. So may God bless and keep you.